Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today's show is super exciting for me, and I think you guys are going to learn a ton because our guest today, Sean, has been just such an inspiration for me. And I think when you guys hear this, you're going to be excited. I had mentioned uh, on a previous episode when we had Alex Cortez on that I was going to start doing a quarterly, you know, up and coming, rising stars, just badass young guys that are just, well, or women for that matter, that are just doing amazing things. And Sean is one of them. And I'll let Sean get into this story a little bit more, but the thing that I am super inspired by Sean about, uh, we're obviously constantly talking about GoBundance, and GoBundance has this thing at the event called, or at any of their events, um, called the Work Crew. And Sean was on the Work Crew when I met him, and these guys just work their tail off. I mean, they're they're there at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning finishing up. They're there at 6 o'clock in the morning starting. These guys just grind, and they work their tail off. And I watched Sean do all that, and yet simultaneously, um, he's learning, he's expanding, he's growing, he's having conversations with guys that are, you know, twice his age, three times his age, and a hundred times his net worth, and he's holding his own. And I've been super excited just watching him because he's never scared to ask questions, he's never scared to reach out, and wait until you hear what he's done in the last year or two. So, Sean, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Really excited to be here. Yeah, so why don't we dive into the questions and then we'll obviously, uh, you know, it's going to flush some of this out already, but excited to just, you know, let you tell everybody what you've done because it's impressive. So who's had the greatest impact on your life? Yeah, so there's, it's really two people. It's, it starts with my mom and dad, um, you know, growing up, uh, just teaching me such a good work ethic. Uh, you know, I remember coming home every day and literally having a list of chores with what needed to be done before our parents got home. And um, different than a lot of kids, like we didn't get an allowance, you know, chores were just part of being in the family. Um, you know, if, if my mom was cooking food, like we had to set the dinner table, we had to clean all the dishes. If I had friends over, they had to help, you know, my dad loves saying there's no such thing as a free lunch. So, um, always teaching us a good work ethic, always having chores. Um, they really drilled into us. Like if you're going to half-ass it, just don't do it. And that wasn't really an option. If we did that, we just had to do it again. So, um, really good work ethic at a young age from them. And then also just, being extremely supportive. Um, like I could have gone in any direction, Mike, and my parents would have been there telling me you're going to be the best at this. Like there was never a time where they weren't supporting any decision that I ever made. So that really helped, you know, with the foundation of like knowing that I always have my parents, um, supporting me. And then as I got older, uh, I moved from Philadelphia to Portland at 24 and came out to this side of the country without knowing anyone. And I got really lucky and met a guy named Neil Collins, who I, I think you might know Neil, but he was in GoBundance for a while. And Neil really took me under his wing uh, without me really even knowing why, but he really helped me out and he unlocked so many doors for me. And um, two of the biggest things that Neil did for me is um, when I was 25, he encouraged me to join M1 with Rock Thomas, um, which is kind of like the stepping stone to GoBundance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I joined M1 and, and that was a life-changing experience. And that really helped set the foundation for, you know, what I would do over the next couple of years. Um, and then also Neil encouraged me to go volunteer at 
go abundance and work for the go crew so he got me in touch with melanie um i told melanie i was an m1 and you know i want to volunteer and um you had mentioned this earlier but that's where we met back in uh, i think it was austin in like 2018 that was my first go abundance event and that was all just neil continuing to push me and you know open up new doors for me and by being part of the Go Crew, I got to uh, get really connected with the local Portland chapter, which has some incredible people like Mike Noss and Gabriel Hamill, and then most importantly, Nigel Geisinger. And by being part of that, I got really close with Nigel, and Nigel and I, you know, in the past year, have bought two businesses. Um, so if I don't meet Neil and, you know, I don't join one and join the Go Crew, I don't think I own two businesses, you know, at this point. So, um, you know, he really opened a lot of doors for me. Wow, that's impressive. And you know, the thing that I want to say on that, just because I, I think, again, as we, as we really talk through your journey and your story, if you hadn't met Neil, there's no GoBundance. If you hadn't joined GoBundance or Work Crew, um, there'd be no Nigel. And then you said there'd be no two businesses. Um, however, I think separating that is super important because, um, you know, even before you met Nigel, I remember being on a call with you. You, you reached out and you asked me, you know, you wanted to buy a... Uh, a a hotel or something, right? A hostel. Yeah. A hostel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember, I remember talking to you. I don't remember where I was, but I, it's weird how you can like place certain things. I don't remember where I was at. I don't remember where I was traveling, but I remember like talking to you. I was like, like at a gas station and just hearing your, Oh, I know exactly where I was. Actually, my son was getting a, um, what's it called when you have to, the emissions test. Okay. I was, I was in a truck. I don't know why that even matters, but, um, your passion your lifestyle passion. You were talking about how you love to travel and you love to see the world and this hostel would, would work perfect into it. And I, I just really appreciated that because I think a lot of times we get into business or we go down roads where, um, you know, we think it's just a preset route and we have to do certain things. And what I love about you is like, you looked at business um, as a means to bettering your lifestyle, right? Which is how I've always looked at it. Anyway, the thing that I wanted to say is I think um, and while I appreciate the dots being connected, I think one of the most important things in that whole conversation is your drive and your desire and your willingness to serve and your willingness to learn. Because even if you hadn't met Nigel, GoBundance, Neil, you would have gotten in the right rooms eventually because, because it's, it's you. And I want to point that out that, you know, I'm always talking about this. You got to get in the right room. You got to find mentors. You got to invest the, I think it was Ben Franklin or somebody that Thomas Jefferson, maybe the best investment you can make is the investment into yourself. But that's the thing that I really wanted to point out. And I get what you're saying about, you know, Neil, GoBundance, um, eventually Nigel, you wouldn't have the two businesses. But most importantly, I think, is you meeting that higher version of yourself and, and really that desire and that drive that, you know, like you said, even your parents, um, you know, they put that into you. Um, but that's kind of full circle because even if somebody got into GoBundance and even if they met people like Nigel, if they're not willing to do the work and better themselves and learn, uh, they're not going to get the two businesses anyway. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if I just showed up and, and didn't add value at the Go crew and like, you know, people, people notice, you know, people like you notice when people are hustling mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I went to the event strictly with the mindset of like, I'm here to help. I'm here to add value. I wasn't trying to just sit on the side and talk with people and network. I was just there to do what I needed to do. And, and people noticed that. And um, because of that work ethic, Neil, Gabe Hamill, and Mike Noss asked me to start the Portland chapter with them. And it wow. was in that Portland chapter where I got to go on a hike and spend like four or five hours just with 
the guys. And that's where I really got to know Nigel really well. Mm. And then it was like three or four months later where we ended up buying Roosevelt. So, um, yeah, and there's a lot of people that work in the Go Crew that don't get asked to come back a second time because they're not really adding value. So, yeah, it, it does all circle back to the work ethic. I love it. Sean, if you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Being around people like you, like Nigel, like Neil, just always trying to make sure I'm around people that are smarter than me, that are you know, living the life that I want to live, um, you know, and just doing what I can to copy you know, what they do, copy their habits, copy their routines, um, always trying to be uh, in a room full of people that are much smarter than I am. Um, so I remember a couple of years ago, I heard the... Um, the saying, you know, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And ever since I heard that, I've done everything I could to just put myself around uh, people that are living the life I want to live. And um, just by copying their habits, you're bound to have, you know, similar success. So I, I just do whatever I can to be around uh, people like yourself. I, I love that approach. And, and I think it, uh, it, it's so you, you talk about being the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I think a lot of times, uh, and I'll circle this back to you and even the go crew and the serving, you know, you had made a comment that a lot of times people on the go crew are not asked to come back because they didn't come in with the, you know, the, the right attitude. They're not serving enough that whatever the reasons are, but that's what I've always appreciated about you is that you lead with value first. You're always there to serve. And here's what I love about, I think, you know, that Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with has really impacted a lot of successful people. I know it did for me, but one of the things that I've talked about a lot, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, um, and I've seen you do it. A lot of times we hear that quote. And so, you know, as you said, you, you really try to make a, uh, a strategic emphasis on getting around smarter people. But the thing that I realized a couple of years ago, and I've shared this a lot where I think people go wrong a lot of times is when they get that revelation or that realization that you had, they also have to understand that in order to get in the room with Nigel and Mike Nuss and a Gabriel Hamill and all the other GoBundance guys, and in order to get invited back to the Go Crew, you have to become a higher version of yourself. You have to become a different version of yourself. You have to act a different way. You have to show up a different way. Um, you have to dig into really that servant attitude, which maybe that's just how you show up every day. But I see so many times that people think, well, I got to be the average of the five people. So I got to level up my average and I'm going to get in bigger rooms. But if you show up as an asshole, just trying to figure out what you can get, it's not going to work out well. Yeah, absolutely. And that for me, that's been like the next evolution of that quote. Um, because at first it did start with just like, how can I be around those types of people like yourself. And um, I think everyone in GoBundance always gives people a shot. Like you're always going to, you know, talk to someone for the first time and, and just see where it goes because people in GoBundance are just genuinely good people. But you're only going to tell or give someone advice one or two times. And if that person keeps coming back and asking for the same piece of advice and isn't taking action on it, you're not going to continue wasting your time with someone that's not actually following through. So the next evolution from that is, like you said, it's, it's who do I have to become in order to be affiliated with people like this. Because if I hadn't grown over the past three years, we wouldn't be on the phone right now. We wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah, so if, if, if I hadn't elevated myself and my game over the past you know, three years from when I met you at 25 to where I am today, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be on the call if you didn't see me growing. If, if I was the same person that I was two years ago in Austin, um, it wouldn't cut it to be where I'm at today. Like I wouldn't be able to go buy a business. I wouldn't be able to own a laundromat if, if I hadn't grown. So in order for me to stay in that group, yeah. I have to continue evolving and growing every day.
That's such a good point. And I love how you just bring that down. Cause again, I think a lot of times when we hear that quote, if we look at it from a selfish perspective, we're just like, okay, how do I get in bigger rooms? But the reality is, and I love how you just put that. If you hadn't continued to grow and escalate, you can't get in bigger rooms. You wouldn't be on this call right now because, you know, my audience is looking for inspiration and, and how do they do what, you know, my guests have done and your story is so inspiring. And so it's such a good point because you not only found the room, you put yourself in the room, you did the work, um, you showed up, even though we all have imposter syndrome and do I belong here? And are these guys going to, you know, accept me? We all deal with that every single day, but you showed up, you did the work and you're a badass. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I love it. It's exciting. Okay. So question number three, what was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it in all of your 27 years? Yeah. So this one, uh, holding on to my W2 job, mm. I, I took too long to bet on myself and you know, I, I left the W2 world at 26 after we bought Roosevelt's, um, but man, if I had, I remember at 21, I was living in Philadelphia. I was working for Enterprise Rent a Car, and uh, I was dropping this guy off. And whatever I did, I must impress him. And he was like, "Look, quit Enterprise, go get your real estate license, and come work for me. You're going to make a ton of money, but you're going to be 100% commission." And I just remember being 21, thinking, "I, I can't be 100% commission. Like, I need the the paycheck. I got student loan debt. I got rent. Like, I need that safety net of a week or biweekly paycheck." And that mindset, I really think held me back for the next five years. I, I truly believe if I got into real estate when I was 21 in like 2015 or 16, I, I wouldn't be on the up and comer show. Like I would have been in GoBundance by now if I had taken that plunge at 21 and just bet on myself knowing how hard I would work and, and knowing, you know, just what real estate had become over the past couple of years. Um, but I held on to that job. I held on to the safety net of having, you know, a weekly paycheck. And it wasn't until I was 26 where I finally, finally let go of that. And things have just expedited from there. I mean, it, it went so quick after I, I quit the W2 world, but I really think that set me back like four or five years just holding on to it. Wow. Um, is there any, I, you know, as you're saying that, I'm just thinking back because I was 24 when I left my W2 and started my first business and same like, you know, why the heck didn't I do this sooner? I mean, everything everything tends to work out. And I think it's kind of the same principle. I mean, it's not like you can just quit and, and expect everything to come to you, but if you quit and do the right things, get in the right rooms, uh, you know, make the right investments and buy the right business, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to work out. But is there thinking backwards, I'd like to just dissect this because there's probably a lot of people mm -hmm. listening that are wanting to quit their W2 and they're scared to do it. Is there literally a point where you you think you can see something that you should have done it sooner or do you think you should have just dove in? Well, it's definitely not for everyone. I mean, some people and probably not the listeners of your show, but some people just honestly are meant to be employees. Like not everyone is meant to go out and, and take that dive. Mm -hmm. But I would bet anyone listening to your show is the type of person that would probably do better betting on themselves than relying on a W-2. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I was making a ton of money. If I was making $250,000, $300,000 a year, it's a different story. I was making eighty dollars to $95,000, like, which is good, but it's not, not life-changing money. Um, I could have made a lot more if I bet on myself, but there was always something inside of me that just hated working for other people, you know, from a little kid hating teachers to hating, you know, authority in some way or another to hating bosses. So I always had that inside of me knowing that I would always just be better if I controlled everything. 
Um, but I was always scared to, to take that leap. Um, and, uh, it wasn't until I bought the business where I saw that opportunity of like, if I want to grow Roosevelt's, I need to be here full time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to sacrifice a little upfront money, uh, for the long-term wealth that owning your business can give you. Yeah. You may have touched on this already, but did you actually pass up opportunities that you were scared to take or, um, or, or did you just not see something? Roosevelt's was the first one where you're like, I got to do this. So I passed up getting my license at 21 because the idea of 100% commission scared me. Um, you know, at 21 years old, I had maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars in the bank account, like living in some dumpy apartment building in in Philly. And what really actually killed me is I wanted to buy an investment property at 21 mm. uh, because our landlord was literally traveling Columbia, like living the life, and we were paying his mortgage for him to live in an apartment that had cockroaches in it. Like it was a dump, Mike. And this guy was just traveling Columbia. And I was like, that's what I want to do. But at 21, I, I didn't have the group to encourage me. I didn't have support. I didn't know what I was doing. I had never heard of bigger pockets or anything like that. So I just let it pass by the wayside. Um, at 24, I had an opportunity to take a job in the tech world, um, which if I had gotten that, I probably would have been making a quarter million dollars in sales. But that was, again, a, a small step back to take a big step forward. And that scared me. I just I didn't want to go backwards in life and I couldn't see the bigger picture. And my mom still gives me a hard time about it to this day um, because my little sister's now doing that and she's making a boatload of money at a very young age. And that could have been me, but I was I was scared to do it. And it just it was years of prepping myself to the point where I, I finally felt comfortable to just say, I know enough. I have enough support. I've practiced and, and studied enough to where it's time to do this. It's time to bet on myself. You said that your mom gives you a hard time. Um, are your parents entrepreneurs? Yes, they they both have owned their own. My mom has had her own staffing business for a while. She's um, She's been an IT recruiter for like 20 years, and she's always had her own business. Um, there was a time when I was really young that my mom and dad owned a business together. Um, but... A little bit. I, I wouldn't say extremely entrepreneurial, but they. my mom definitely had it. My dad's just always killed it in his job. He's just always been a high income earner and done extremely well. Um, he, he was a, a mortgage broker. Um, so he's always killed it in his field. But my mom has always had a little bit of the entrepreneurial side to her. But they've always supported us and you know pushed us to do what they thought we would do best at. I love it. That's cool. What is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? I, it really comes down to, to mindset. You know, I, I think I'm always trying to encourage people to adapt that, um, or adopt that miracle morning mindset of like, wake up every morning, maybe an hour or two earlier. So I like to get up at five in the morning. And if you're an evening person, maybe set aside two hours in the evening, but making sure I'm meditating every day, journaling, whether it's gratitude or goals or affirmations, um, exercising, visualizing. So if, if you can break that down into a daily habit and start to control your thoughts um, and, and just control your breathing and, and write down your goals every single day, it takes a really big overwhelming goal of like, you know, I want $10,000 a month of income or a hundred, you know, units. And you can just break that down to little daily tasks. Like all you really need to be doing is reading a business book for 20 minutes a day, mm -hmm. meditating for 10 minutes a day, you know, consistently writing little things down. Um, but people get overwhelmed with that big goal where all over my house, I have the, the, 
1% growth every day written everywhere. So if I could just remember, if I could grow by 1% every day, that's 365% at the end of the year. You know, how far can you grow with 365% growth? Um, So I'm always encouraging people, you know, just start meditating, start writing down what you're grateful for, start controlling those thoughts inside of your head, Mm -hmm. get those negative thoughts out and start telling yourself you can do it and you don't have those limiting beliefs anymore. Um, And it really makes things a lot easier when you just look at things in terms of 1% growth. Mm, That's good. I like that. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here before we get into the story about uh, Roosevelt and transitioning from W2 to investing. Um, you know, we had a lot of conversations here about getting in the room and go abundance and, you know, just getting around, you know, increasing your average with the five people you spend the most time with. What are a few of the traits that you saw when you started getting into the room like GoBundance? And if you want to talk about specific people, that's fine. If you want to just talk about the traits, that's fine. But what are the top three, four, five things that you saw in, in, in the room? So the first thing that stood out to me in Austin um, is how vulnerable people can be. You know, when you're looking at a room of 100 guys that are all worth millions of dollars and, you know, own their own businesses and are just completely blowing everyone else out of the water to see how vulnerable they can be and um, how honest they can be like you might be killing it in real estate but like maybe you have a bad marriage maybe you're not really so close with your kids maybe you're overweight Um, and that's a side of people that you don't typically see like most people aren't just going out and sharing that information Um, and how open people are with their with their finances and um, with money like that was never a thing that I had growing up, like we never really talked about money too much. We never really were open about our finances too. So to see where you guys are killing it and then where you guys are struggling and Mm -hmm. asking for help, it made me look back and say, well, you know, I was like 24, 25 at the time. I was like, if these guys can do this, then, you know, why can't I do this? So then I started having my own little pods with other guys that are part of the go crew and and we just copy what you guys do um we ask for help where we need help we ask for people to hold us accountable and and not let us slide on things um so that that trait of being open and vulnerable was was really eye-opening for me because you just don't typically see that mm-hmm. in successful people so that's why go abundance is such a unique and and powerful group because it really focuses on the things that you're not doing well and like they say you want to be a whole life millionaire um so that's been incredible um and then you know someone that i really look up to a lot is is gabriel hamill i mean that he is like the seller finance king and and he is out traveling with his family he's got a great relationship with his wife and his kids and he's always in these amazing areas and i look at what he's doing and i'm like that's that's the life i want to live and gabe is like the most humble, you know, person that you can meet. He's always trying to add value to you no matter what. And I look at that and I'm like, that's the type of person, you know, I want to be. I don't know anyone that would say anything bad about Gabe because he's just such an honest, humble, friendly, caring person. And all he wants to do is help others, but he wants to live his best life. And he, more so than I think most people, is truly living the life that he designed and created for himself and his family. And that's just, that's what I want. I love it. It's good stuff. Anything else? No, I think the vulnerability was really the most eye-opening for me. You know, like I said, just to see multimillionaires say, hey, guys, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I need help. And, you know, this is where I want to be better. And then being able to not focus on myself, but focus on someone else and just add value and add value and just help. It's, it's amazing to see. Yeah, that's cool. 
What, um, if you met your, if you had a conversation right now, I, this is again, not a pre-designed question that you knew was coming at you, but I'm just sitting here watching you and just seeing, um, I've had multiple conversations with you over the years, quite a few actually in person and via phone and whatever, but I'm sitting here listening to you right now and just looking at Sean today. If Sean today met Sean five years ago, what do you think? Like, what do you think Sean from five years ago would think? Um, I would honestly, if I told what, so I'm 27, 22 year old me that I would be waking up at five every morning, meditating every morning, have, I don't, I don't know how many books I filled up with just gratitude posts and affirmations. I would have laughed at myself and said, that stuff doesn't work. Like that's not real. That's just all, you know, that, that Portland stuff that just people don't really believe in, but that has been the most life-changing stuff for me is to you know adapt that miracle morning mindset of i'm going to meditate i'm going to write my gratitude i'm going to visualize and write my goals down um i I think i would have laughed at myself Hmm. uh and it it was going through the m1 program that really taught me how to do this you know waking up and and listening to rock talk every day is i mean it's inspiring stuff and Hmm. finally i just you know, I, I just kind of let some of those old thoughts go of like, you know, that doesn't work for me or, you know, I'm, I'm not that type of person that does this or whatever that thought might be those limiting mindsets. Um, it was around 24 where I finally just let that go and, and just accepted, you know, that this is the way to happiness and this is the way to freedom and, and just go all in on that. Wow. You know, and I, I love, I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, it, it's been said, and I don't know what the truth is behind the actual numbers, but it's been said that, you know, we use a certain percentage of our brain, brain 10, 15, 20%, whatever the number is. And I've, you know, through following Michael Singer and reading Surrender Experiment and just, I've uh, been working with a coach lately, probably the last six months, it's really been helping me just tap into some of my own greatness. And the thing that I think all of that does that we don't understand. So the Sean five years ago just didn't understand what it does for you. And what it actually does is allows you to connect, you know, to your whole being, to that greatness that's within you. When we get our brain in the way, which is probably truly, you know, 10, 15, 20% of what we can actually process when we really start uh, like tapping into that subconscious and our true desires and what we actually really want I think that's where the magic really happens. And so I think sometimes, you know, our earlier self, our younger self can't understand, well, why would meditating or why would journaling, like, what is that? The brain disconnects from that because what does writing down what I already know, that's what the brain's probably thinking, right? What does that Mm -hmm. do for me? Or what does meditation do? Um, Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I think for me, what it was so impactful was like when I was 22, I would go work a job I didn't like. I'd come home and immediately throw on the TV and just sit and mm. and lay on the couch and, you know, have a beer or whatever it might be. And I never actually spent time in my own head to mm. think about what I really wanted. Yeah. I just expected things to change. I just expected good things to come my way and, and opportunities to show up. But I wasn't actually out there looking for them. Mm. You know, like the reason you... I have a business because I went out looking for it. But at 22, I was just kind of thinking, oh, good things will happen to me. I don't have to go out of my way to, to make it work. And I'm just going to sit on the couch and, and watch TV for three or four hours a night. Um, but I just had no idea the power of getting into your own head and just sitting and thinking. Um, there was someone you had on your podcast a while ago, and it's I forget who it was, but they said that they just take 
an hour or so a week just sit with a pen and paper and just have think time mm. and it's not necessarily meditating but it's literally just thinking and letting those thoughts go through your head writing every idea down and just letting your brain get through everything it needs to and i try to incorporate that into my evenings like instead of throwing on tv and watching a basketball game i'll just sit and, and just think for an hour and just see what comes out and um, you learn so much about yourself when you can just sit and be present and be silent. And it really does, like you said, with the surrender experiment, when you really just surrender to what the universe has in store for you and like mm -hmm. whatever's coming your way, you just be happy with it and grateful that, you know, you have this or why is this happening to me or instead of why is it happening for me? Um, it's, it's very powerful uh, to just be able to get to know yourself a lot better. Yeah. You just brought up something that I think is, you know, pretty important. And I don't remember who said it either. We, I actually have this conversation quite a lot. Um, it was originally, um, Keith Cunningham in the road, less stupid. He talks about thinking time and this kind of set me free, Sean, because, you know, we talk about meditation and meditation is a process in itself, right? Like really figuring out how to, you know, quiet the mind and work through the process and, and a lot of people get really frustrated. And I remember back when I first was learning how to meditate, I would literally sit down and I set my, you know, my timer for 10 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever, and I'm going to meditate. And I would start meditating and, you know, I'd learn to silent my brain. But here's where it got interesting for me, Sean. Um, my brain or my subconscious, actually, I don't think it was my conscious brain, my subconscious would start solving complex challenges. It would start giving me answers to things that I'd been struggling with. And you know what I would do? I would, I would say, be quiet. Like I'm here to be silent mm -hmm. when really like, what's the purpose of meditation, right? It's to connect to yourself on a deeper level. And when I read Keith Cunningham book, Keith Cunningham's book, and he said that he has a thinking chair and a thinking pen and a thinking notebook, and he goes into thinking time, you know, for 45 minutes every single morning, that's his form of meditation. And so that kind of set me free a little bit. It's not that you have to do it for 45 minutes, but that gave me the freedom when I get into that deep um, subconscious zone of meditation and my subconscious is giving me, I actually think that, you know, whether it's Edison or, you know, Einstein or whatever, um, I actually think that a lot of these guys really tapped into not only meditation, but being able to connect when we're in that meditative zone too. But for those of you that are listening and you're like, well, I've tried meditation and my brain just gets, you know, crazy. Well, you got to push through that part, but I think we have to be cognizant too of when our subconscious is doing its job and we've connected and we're getting those answers to come out of that. And so when you bring up the thinking time, I think it's pretty important that we learn to, um, you know, stop and connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for meditation for me, I mean, it took probably six, seven, eight months of doing it every single morning to just figure out how to breathe the right way and, mm -hmm. and how to just let those thoughts go. Um, so I, I obsessed over that Headspace app and I would do it religiously. And then it, it became part of my routine where if I didn't meditate, like my whole morning was thrown off and then my day was kind of thrown off. So now I almost need it. But then as that evolved and I started getting comfortable with meditating and I heard your podcast about the thinking time and I can start incorporating that, you know, not every night, but one or two nights a week, just in the evening, mm -hmm. sit down with a, you know, journal and pen and just let my brain do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes nothing comes out, but sometimes I just sit there and ideas come up left and right and different mm -hmm. strategies or conversations that I need to have. Um, and I found when I do that, it really it takes a weight off my shoulders because now like when I'm trying to go to bed, 
I've let all those thoughts go through my head and they're not racing when I sit down and close my eyes and try to sleep. Like I've had the time to let my brain go through everything and come to these revelations that I needed to. Um, so to me, that's been, it's been really a powerful, um, experiment to work with and just sit and think. And I don't think enough people do that. I think enough people just would rather look at their phone, would rather, you know, watch TV than to get comfortable with their own thoughts and with their own mind. Um, and that's what, that's what I really like to do. I love thinking about what my brain can do and experimenting with, you know, where my brain can go. Yeah. On this note too, and, and I can't prove what I'm about to say, um, yet, or maybe there's some research out there that shows this, but I've noticed that, you know, once I learned to meditate, if I'm tired in the afternoon or I've got stress or, you know, I've got some coaching calls coming up or I got a podcast coming up and I'm just not in the right zone. And I literally go sit down for 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes. And I'm, and I just meditate, dude, I come, I come out of like, I'm so refreshed. I'm energized. And there's, this is what I can't prove. Um, I can prove that part because it happens to me all the time. What I can't prove is that I think that that's why power naps are like, um, so powerful for so many people, because I think when we go to sleep for five or seven or 10 minutes, like, I think you probably just get into this, uh, and this is what I can't prove, but I can get the same outcome in one or two or three minutes of meditation that I can in a 10 or 15 minute power nap. So I think, it's, I think that's connected. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I'm, if I'm getting frustrated, I've always had a little bit of a, of a temper problem that I, I've always been working on. Like I'm, I'm pretty quick to get angry sometimes. So when I feel that coming on, if I could go sit down for like you said, 60 seconds and just take a few deep breaths and just let it all go. I come out of that when I open my eyes and I just feel so much better and so much calmer. So, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to get it confused. Like I still struggle with that. I'm by sure. no means, you know, perfect. Like there's still a lot of times where I do let my temper get the best of me, or I, I do lose my patience on things, but just constantly reminding myself, Hey, just go sit down for, you know, two minutes and just focus on your breathing for a second, slow things down. You know, it's, Put it, put everything in perspective. It makes life so much better. You haven't arrived, bro. You're 27. What are you doing? Just I'm kidding. working on it. <laughs> working on it. 1% every day. 1%. I love it. Um, great, great, great conversation. Great answers to the question. Let's take a few minutes. Um, cause I think this is what's, I mean, obviously you've dropped so much value and, um, man, I'm just inspired. Uh, truly. I'm not just saying that cause it's my show. I'm very inspired by what you've done. Um, Thanks, Mike. let's talk about, okay. So we've got the background, your, your, your young twenties, you're working at enterprise, you're trapped in a W2 job. You go to M1, you meet rock, you get into the go crew, you get around people that are thinking bigger. Um, kind of bring me, we've talked about Roosevelt a little bit, but tell me the story. Like, how did you finally make the plunge? Yeah. So I moved out to Portland to take an outside sales job with a company that was a, a wholesale apparel company. Um, so I had the territory of, of Oregon, Alaska, and Idaho, and I was just going around slinging apparel, like selling blank t-shirts and polos to screen printers. And for a while it was fun. I got to do a lot of traveling, put everything on the card, like didn't really have to pay for anything, but it got to the point where there was no growth and it was very stagnant and I wasn't really liking it. Then the pandemic hit, and um, from a company standpoint, when you're cutting costs, the first thing to go is excess spending on corporate swag. So, you know, those the extra T-shirts that you'd get, the beanies, all of that went out the window. So our industry went down like 80% overnight. Hmm. Um, now, luckily, I didn't lose my job, but I was furloughed for like six weeks. And 
Um, during that time frame, because I had been in GoBundance events, I got to be part of your GoBundance Facebook page, and I got to sit and listen to every single conversation that you guys were having or having from, if you remember, like March, April, May, June, there was those daily Facebook calls of like, yeah. all right, guys, we're in a pandemic. What do we do? Where's the opportunity? And that's when Nigel starts talking about buying businesses. So I had my job, but we had nothing going on. So I just had all the time in the world to sit and listen to you guys and be a sponge and absorb it. And uh, I had only bought one rental property. So I wasn't really too ingrained in the real estate side of things. Like that's where I thought I wanted to go. But the opportunity was in business. So we made a quick pivot and we went into the business world and start looking for whatever business I thought would be fun. You know, uh, coffee stores, restaurants, like um, all these businesses that are closing down. And then it finally hit me after like three months of just looking at duds that if I'm going to buy a business, I should focus on something that I love. Um, and I was looking around my house. And I had all these plants around my house. I had 80 or 90 house plants. And uh, it was just kind of a happy place. Like I repot them, you know, water them, take care of them. Like it was, it was a calming thing to hang out with all the plants. And finally, I was like, why don't I just look for a plant store? Um, so after spending some time on like biz buy sell and Craigslist and all that, I couldn't find anything because the plant industry during the pandemic was actually booming with everyone at home. They wanted to add plants to their house. So there was a plant shortage around the country. Um, all these plant stores popped up. So I, I was finally getting discouraged. So I just reached out to a Facebook group and I said, it was a plant group in Portland. It was called like happy plant people of Portland, you know, a very Portland thing. Yeah. And uh, I said, Hey, does anyone know of a local plant store that's closing because of the pandemic? If so, let me know. I'd love to try to, you know, keep it open. And someone said, Hey, Roosevelt's terrariums announced their closing today. So I picked up the phone, <laughs> called, found their number and just cold called them out of the blue and said, Hey, I, I saw your closing. Would you rather sell me your business than close? Um, and he said, I would love to sell you my business, but here's the thing. I need to be out of this apartment in the next two weeks. So if you want to buy this, you got two weeks to buy the store. Wow. And if you remember, I called you. Yeah. We spoke for a little bit and you had like 10 million things going on. And you're like, look, I could, I want to help you, but I just have so many other things that I'm probably not the right person to, to help you. Yeah. And I love you for even trying to help. And you really, you gave me a lot of encouragement to go pursue this. And I knew you would have been there to answer any questions, but you just didn't have the time to like sit and review everything with me. Um, and having listened to Nigel for a while, I called up Nigel and he's like, look, you actually, you have something real here. Like there's some really good numbers. Let's do this together. And as soon as Nigel said that he's in with me, I knew I found something real. Nice. Um, so Nigel hops on a phone call with me and the owner and um, he helps me negotiate the deal. We, we structure a 100% owner financing deal with, you know, really solid interest rate, you know, three, three and a half percent interest over a seven year period. Um, so it's stuff that I, I didn't have the skill set to do. So Nigel was, you know, a catalyst in negotiating that deal for me. And then the first six months just answering every single question about owning a business. And nice. Um, you know, it's not rocket science to run a business, but if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Um, so if I had to do that on my own, it would have been a lot harder. So to know that I have the safety net of being able to call Nigel with any question because he's an owner in this business with me mm -hmm. made that learning curve so much faster. Um, and as soon as I bought the business, I just, I, I called up the, the apparel company and said, Hey guys, um, it's been fun, but I'm going to go in a different direction. And I went all in on the business. Nice. You know, there's another lesson in that. Um, when a young up and comer like Sean calls you, 
not only do you answer the call, but you analyze the deal and you don't let it go because I missed it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, just honestly, kidding. man, like you, you were so helpful. And I remember I, it was like you were talking about being in the truck. I remember that night so perfectly because um, me and my girlfriend were sitting on the couch and I'm like a little stressed because this guy said, yes, he wants to sell me his business, mm -hmm. but I have no idea how to buy it. And, and you have two weeks. Yeah, two weeks to buy yeah. it, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And I remember being so excited, like almost telling my like telling my girlfriend Taylor, I was like, I, I don't have time to talk with you right now. I got to talk with Mike because Mike's gonna help me figure this out. And then, you know, when you said, Hey, look, I just I'm in the middle of so many things right now. I'd love to help, but I just I can't. I'm sorry. Then Nigel answers me, and Nigel starts, you know, picking up, and I'm like, All right, I I'm just going all in on this. Like yeah. this is so exciting, and it was stressful, but at the same time, I knew if you two guys saw something in it, then there was something real there. And that's, that's what really got me excited about it. Yeah. That's so, you know, there's a, there's a lesson there on, I was joking about, uh, you know, not, not passing up the opportunity, although I did pass it up. Um, the who, not how conversation is so relevant to this because not only, you know, as the, I think the reason why you said this earlier, but the go abundance guys are always open to having conversations with everyone, right? Because we never know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where we're at in life, you know, here or here, um, less experience or more experience. What matters is that we can all teach someone some, you know, anyone something, right? I can learn something from anyone, but also the reason why the GoBundance guys are so open and interested is it's always about who, not how it's abundance thinking. Right. And that's mm -hmm. what Nigel saw, you know, you're seeing something there. The, I think the lesson there is for young entrepreneurs or, you know, people that want to be entrepreneurs don't go it alone. That's the power of getting in the bigger room. But also so many people are scared of partnerships and I love Bingo. partnerships because you know what, what I just heard you say all along, like Nigel's looking at young horses to invest in, right? Like you're mm -hmm. that fast, young, energetic horse. He's looking for opportunity. You're looking for age and wisdom and experience and potentially, you know, financing, which you didn't need here, but the experience to finance the deal uh, or ask for seller financing and negotiate that was a true win-win, right? And I think that's Absolutely. where the conversations come in, um, why GoBundance is so open. Yeah, and, and what's really powerful about that is I hadn't even read Who Not How at that point, but Nigel was my who because I had no idea how to run a business. Like that's not just something you you know how to do. Mm -hmm. um, so he made that learning curve so much better for me and, and really just made me feel confident that I could do this. And I was his who because he doesn't know anything about terrariums or plants. Yeah. So like he needs that operator to run this business and that yeah. was me. So we, we had such a symbiotic relationship right from the beginning. Um, and what's, you know, you mentioned a lot of people are scared of partnerships. When I would tell people, hey, I own 51% of this business and Nigel owns 49%, people would look at me and say, why would you give up 49% for someone that's that's not never going to be in the store? Mm -hmm. And that's such a limiting mindset. It's just, it holds you back from so much because, you know, what people in GoBundance always say, I'd rather have a small percentage of something huge than 100% of nothing. Yeah. And if I don't give up any of that equity... I mean, who knows if Nigel's willing to answer every one of my phone calls? Like, who knows if he's willing to take the time to teach me if I don't offer him, you know, the equity in that? So, you know, people would give me a hard time, but I could see the difference in mindsets of like, that's a limiting belief where mm -hmm. I, I try to have this abundance mindset of, of, you know, there's more than enough 
uh, meat on the bone for both of us. Yeah. And I'm not going to grow unless I have someone like Nigel. So I would do that deal 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. You know, I don't think that it was ever a bad idea to give up equity. Yeah. I love the who, not how conversation and, and, you know, the abundance thinking and there's always more than enough. And how do we align? I actually coached with Dan Sullivan with strategic coach for a couple of years. And that who, not how was one of those things that just really, this was before him and Ben wrote the book. And I just read that book again and it just kind of reinforced and I love the concept, but uh, something that you said there that I think is super interesting, you know, we, it's weird. We come with these preconceived ideas, but you know, you'll have people that'll say to you like, why would you give up 49% or 30% or whatever percent of the business? But it's funny when people think of franchises, you know, that franchisee is getting a piece of the action because you're getting a system from them. You're getting their experience. You're getting that foundation and, but people don't question it when it comes to like buying a McDonald's franchise or right. a Roto-Rooter franchise. It makes your life so much easier. You don't have to reinvent the wheel on what they've already spent years and years and years learning. And that's basically what you did with Nigel. You, mm -hmm. you partnered with him. You got the years of experience and you gave him a piece of the pie and you still retained the majority of it. When, when people do that with franchise, if, with franchises, they don't even think twice about it. But when, when somebody partners, they're like, what are you doing? It's just crazy to me. It's madness. Right, right. I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I would do this 10 out of 10 times, you know, to, for me to try to have done this on my own would have been so many more sleepless, sleepless nights, you know, so much more stress of trying to figure things out. I mean, just little things like doing your taxes right. Or, you know, how do I, how do I market the business? Where should I be spending money? Things you could read about, but until you actually do it yourself, it's really hard to learn. And it's really hard to to know what to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, the only reason I, I was able to remove myself in six months of being in the job every single day and transitioning from working in to working on is by having a, a coach and a mentor, mm -hmm. you know, being those, you know, going to back to bowling, like having the, the gutters. I know yeah. you've used that analogy before having the bumpers yeah. in a bowling lane. Like that's what Nigel is for me. He's yeah. those, those bumpers yeah. to make sure I don't go into the gutter. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And you know, I was thinking you gave up equity but also, you know, future, which we can touch on this too. You guys have already done some other deals together. Um, so you gave up some equity, but who knows where the future takes you. But also when I started my first business, you're going to pay for it one way or another, whether you give up mm -hmm. equity. Uh, when I started my first business, I did have a business partner and him and I were great partners. You know, one of my mentors says, if two partners have the same strength, one of them is not needed. In your guys' case, you're the operator. He's the guy with the business background and experience, right? It's a win-win. But I think sometimes what, what people don't necessarily think about is even if you didn't partner with him, you may or may not have gotten that deal done. But let's just say right. for a second that you had. If you had part, not partnered with him and still got the deal done, when I started my first business, I invested probably 150 to 180,000 in year one in consultants and coaches because I didn't know how to structure accounting. I didn't know how to get financing. I didn't know how to organize QuickBook. I didn't... So no matter what, you're going to pay for it, right? Right. And I think if I didn't have Nigel's negotiation skills, I would have way overpaid for the business. Mm. Uh, and if I overpay for this, I'm in the red every month. Um, sure. You know, so just having just that negotiation skill that brought the, the seller from, you know, he wanted like 1.2 million, then he wanted 600,000, then to get him down and he wanted bank financing this whole time. 
And to have Nigel explain to him, hey, you, you need to sell in two weeks. We don't have time for bank financing. If yeah. you want to sell, here's your option. And hey, we would love to pay you $1.2 million, but you've been closed for the past six months. Yeah. And we don't know when COVID's going to be over. So, you know, unfortunately, we can't pay you $1.2 You've already said you're closing, so you're already going to accept zero. So let's let's meet in the middle where both of us are happy. And we landed on, you know, like three hundred thousand with wow. a a huge lump sum of ten thousand dollars down, which you know was in the grand scheme of things, we we both have a hundred percent return already. So I guess it's now an infinite return because yeah. we've already paid ourselves back in less than a year. Yeah. And now it's just all you know, um, all growth. Such a good point because you know one. 1.2 down to, to 300. I mean, out the gate, you saved 900 grand and then the seller, like, dude, come on. Yeah. Things that I did not know how to do on my own. Um, so yeah, maybe I could have gotten down to like five or 600, but then that monthly payment is too high to the point where I can't cash flow. So, yeah. um, I mean, he earned that 49% with w literally one phone call of negotiating that deal for me. Yeah. Well, and even if you guys never did another deal together, which you've already done more, but even if you never did just the experience that you've gained for being able to do future things on your own, that's what you can't pay for. Right. Right. And then the opportunities that have presented itself since buying Roosevelt's, you know, we've learned that there's not many other stores like this around the country. Mm. Um, so, you know, this is what's leading us into the growth of Roosevelt's to open up more stores. You know, we're, we're thinking about the, the franchise model and, and how can we, how can we open up this unique, profitable business in all these major metropolitan cities around the country. I mean, plant, the plant industry is huge right now. Everyone wants to be in the plant world and there's no one doing terrariums. Um, so my initial thought, and this is again, where his experience comes in, my initial, my initial thought was, why don't I move up to Seattle or down to California and just open up a company owned store? Um, Nigel seeing the bigger picture says, Hey, instead of having 10 or 15 different employees reporting to you, wouldn't you rather just have three or four owners reporting to you? You know, an owner is a lot easier to deal with than an employee sometimes. Um, so he came up with the idea of like, let's, let's go down this franchise model. Um, so now we're getting our, our paperwork ready to go. We're, um, starting the, the legal work, which is, you know, 60 to 90 day process to get all the legal side done. But once we have our, our FDD complete and our registrations complete, like we're going to start talking with people about franchising and, and opening up stores around the country. And, um, you know, I'm super excited to see that because there's some there's some cities that I think would crush it, like Austin, you know, the Portland of Texas. Um, you know, they say keep Austin weird. I think it'd be a killer spot to have a store like this or, you know, back where I'm from in Philadelphia. Um, so just, again, having that experience, you know, being able to say, hey, instead of doing this yourself, let's give up some of the equity to grow a lot bigger and let's open up a hundred stores instead of two stores. That's just amazing, man. And, and are, so are you going to keep the Roosevelt terrarium? Is that going to be like the franchise thing or what's, yeah. So that's the goal for right now. I mean, we've bounced around the idea of changing the name a little bit, but Roosevelt's has such a good loyalty, such a good fan base. I mean, it's been around for almost seven years now that, um, you know, I think it would be easier to just stick with Roosevelt's, um, and give people our model. And it's a very turnkey model. I mean, yeah. the systems that the previous owner put in place made it very easy for me to step in and now, now makes it very easy for me to train others on what to do with, with the systems that we've created. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to see, you know, what we can do with this, you know, after we get the legal work done. Yeah. That's exciting, man. And my two cents, not that it matters, but I love the name. Um, yeah, me it, too. Me yeah. Too. I just think it's perfect. It has like this, I don't know. It just has, it, it's got a great feel. Um, so you guys are, obviously you're not there yet, but you're going through the franchise process. And so here in the near future, people are going to be able to 
actually open a terrarium store. It's it, we were talking about this earlier. I mean, just even again, people question why you would give up equity, but they don't question the franchise model. But the reality is you've built this, well, you bought this and then expanded on it. This great little store and system. People can actually order online kits from you, right? And build their own terrarium. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to do that with your family. We're going to ship everyone a kit and hop on Zoom and, and do a terrarium building class on Zoom. Totally. And, and that's that's what's so cool about the store is like you, a lot of these retail stores aren't going to survive because everything can be replaced with AI and new technology. You can never replace the hands-on experience of having a, a live in-person class and getting your hands in soil and actually planting something that you're going to have for years. Um, you you can never replace that with technology. So just that that hands-on experience is what makes the store so unique, uh, and that's why I think you know with with how many people have adapted and become plant people, um, I, I think it would just do so well in so many different cities. Yeah, that's cool. I'm excited. So if people are interested in you know talking to you about maybe potentially franchising when the time is right, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, either shoot me an email or message me on, on Instagram and, you know, maybe we put in the show notes or something, but it's just at Sean aid on Instagram or uh, my email is just Sean Jerome 44 Gmail. And just let me know where you're at in the country and um, give me a way to get in touch with you because as soon as we have the legal work done, we're going to start moving quickly and, and wanting to open this up. So just shoot me an email or message me on Instagram and just let me know you're interested. And as soon as we have our back end taken care of, we're going to start looking for people to open up the first few stores. That's cool. That's exciting. We're actually in the process of moving to Austin and my daughter just loves plants and trees. That's why we were going to do the family thing when we have an opportunity I think this would be a store that she'd be interested in franchising. Like I'm kind of intrigued by it. So I'll get on your list. One last thing and then we'll close it up. Um, you guys bought a laundromat together too. We bought a laundromat. Yeah. Just uh, what's today? Uh, almost two weeks ago we closed. So that's, that's been the newest adventure for us. Yeah. You and Nigel together. Yeah. Me, Nigel, and then a really good friend of mine here in Portland named Kyle. Um, Kyle and I are kind of the two operators doing everything on the ground. And then again, Nigel's just taking the role of being the mentor, the experienced member, since he already has a laundromat that he owns himself. So he can really tell me everything that I need to know about owning a laundromat. So again, it just cuts out that learning curve. Just, you know, learn from Nigel instead of having to do it all on my own. Super, super cool. So one of the things with the up and comers is, you know, I got to have you back because we got to check in. And I, I know that when we talk a year from now, um, obviously you and I are going to talk between then, but when we come back on the show a year from now, I'm just excited to see what you've done. So tell us one more time, what's the email and what's the Instagram handle? So Instagram at Sean aid and, uh, email address, just Sean Jerome 44 at Gmail. And, you know, we can email that to you or throw that in the show notes somewhere. But, um, yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Just shoot me a message on Instagram. Um, you know, I, I have a few friends getting on me about not posting enough about the laundromat. So I'll do a little bit more about sharing what we're doing there, but that was a lot of fun. Hopefully going to buy a few more of those. It's a, it's a cool industry. Um, you'd love this too, Mike. I got to throw this out there. Yeah. We negotiated 0% interest for three years on this laundromat. So, <laughs> so cool. talk about, you know, a, a good deal. We got hundred percent seller financing with 0% interest. Um, so another really, really good operation we got going there. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes when we say these things, like people don't believe it's true, but you know, you never know what the seller's position is or what their, you know, desire is. And a lot of times these people just want the business to continue on. They need out or they want out for whatever reason. And that's where the opportunity lies, right? Yeah. 
he just wanted out. I mean, this this man's a very successful dentist. He bought this business as as a way to shelter some of his income because he's a very high high earner. So he had no idea how to run a laundromat. He had it for seven years and he did a good job, but he didn't have the business sense where that's what Nigel has. Um, and all he wanted was a sizable down payment and to be done with it. Mm-hmm. So for him, we paid him what he wanted and he didn't care about the interest. He doesn't really care about the monthly payments. So 0% interest over a three-year period with you know everyone talking about inflation coming up and you know how can you hedge, where can you put your money? I mean, that's like, we got a $70,000 loan with 0% interest. That's as free as you can get. Yeah. I mean, outpacing inflation, you're making at least four or 5% without you, even if you're not turning a profit, right? Just because right, there's no right. interest Absolutely. on the deal. So yeah, super interesting, man. And just one final question. Did, so I heard sizable down payment, doesn't matter what the number is, but did Roosevelt help you with that down payment? Yeah, in, in a sense. So we had taken some of our, our owner distributions and paid ourselves uh, to then, you know, buy the laundromat. So we had to come out of pocket a little bit. But with our profit from Roosevelt's, I was able to pay myself and Nigel um, probably about 80 to 90 percent of our down payment came, came from profits from Roosevelt's. So yeah. one business buys the other. Oh, come on. Yeah. And I, I get, you know, obviously Roosevelt's isn't buying the laundromat. I wasn't saying that, but you bought a business with Nigel and then the profits in turn allow you to buy a laundromat and pretty soon the yeah. laundromat's going to allow you to invest in something else. Like, right. It's just, it's, Absolutely. Com- it's compounding. Yeah. And I mean, now that I have one laundromat, the, the reason getting financing was so hard is because our business had no experience, you know, owning a laundromat. Now that we're, you know, actually in the game and, and playing the game a little bit, it'll be a lot easier to get that second one. So man, just, there's, really the, take off. there's the wisdom right there. You said now that I'm in the game. So I think the takeaway for this whole show is just get in the game, right? Get in the game, get, get started. Game. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, good conversation, Sean. So you guys, if you're interested, uh, just reach out to Sean. Uh, we'll put the contact in the show notes. So appreciate you being on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Mike. Great talking with you, man. Yeah, you too. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.